Praises be to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, for he is wonderful. Amen, amen. We ask that you turn in your Bibles this morning as you stand to the book of Genesis chapter 21, verses 8 through 19. That's the book of Genesis, chapter 21, verses 8 through 19. And if you found the sacred scripture, would you please acknowledge it by saying, He is wonderful. Praise his holy name. And would you stand for the reading of God's inerrant, infallible word. Genesis 21, 8 through 19. And the word of God says this. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had bore to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast this slave woman with her son out, for the son of this slave woman shall never be an heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his sons. But God said to Abraham, do not be displeased because of the boy and because of the slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered into the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy. And hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. 
Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with the water and gave the boy a drink. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, but most importantly, the understanding and living of his holy word. You may be seated. Ishmael is the son of Abraham and Hagar. Hagar was the Egyptian slave that belonged to Sarah, Abraham's wife. You know, Abraham gave him the name Ishmael because the name Ishmael means God hears. He did this presumably because he felt that when he received a son from Hagar, that God was answering his prayer. We find out that Ishmael later becomes the father of the Arab nations. Now, you remember, God had made a promise to Abraham that he would have an heir, that he would have a son back in Genesis 15 and 4. And then he also made a separate promise that your descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. But after years of trying, after years of waiting, this had not come to pass. So Sarah gave Abraham an option through a surrogate named Hagar. Ishmael was raised in his father's house. But when he became 13 years old, God returns to Abraham to reaffirm his covenant and to assure Abraham that the child of promise would indeed be born, not from Hagar, but from Sarah. Look what God tells him here in Genesis 17 and 20. God told Abraham, as for Ishmael, I will bless him also, just as you as asked. I will make him extremely friendly, or rather fruitful, and multiply his descendants. He will become the father of 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will be confirmed with Isaac, who will be born to you and Sarah about this time next year. As a symbol of God's covenant pledge, God institutes the rite of circumcision, and on that day, both Abraham and Ishmael were circumcised. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the very meditations of my heart be found acceptable in your sight, for you are my Lord and my Redeemer. Show us today, O oh Lord, through your living word, that you are the perfect model of fatherhood because you have never left us nor forsaken us. You are the one that provides all that we need through your riches and glory in Christ Jesus our Lord. We love you, Father, and we are amazed by your grace toward us. It is in the matchless name of your Son, and our Savior, that we ask it all, and all God's children said, Amen. Amen. This morning, we're departing from our verse-by-verse -verse exposition of the book of John 
here on Father's Day to give you a model of the perfect Father who is God and God alone. And we want to recognize today that God is our provision in all situations. He's our provider. And that when God shows you your well, you can rely on it that that well will quench your everlasting thirst. Let's look quickly here at verses 8 through 10 of Genesis 21. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for this slave woman will not be an heir with my son Isaac. When we go back and look at Genesis 17, 4 through 5, you see God speaking these words to Abram. Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but now you shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. In this passage, we see Abraham as he becomes the father of a multitude of nations. And really, these words spoken by God to him summarizes the covenant that is being established. Really, you can go back and everything in chapter 17 really builds upon this affirmation that God brings out. It underlines the importance, and I think that's why it's repeated in Genesis 21 and 5, because it's reaffirming Genesis 17 and 20. Abraham will be his name, because by nature, he is the father of a multitude of nations. You know, the first thing God does after he changes a person's nature, look it up, the first thing God does after he changes a person's nature through salvation, what does he do? He changes the name. The term father most times denotes some kind of biological relationship, but several times in the Bible we see examples where it's used metaphorically. Joseph describes himself as a father to Pharaoh. Micah invites a young Levite to be his father. Paul says that he's the father, spiritual father of Timothy. You know, whoever loves you, whoever invests in your life, whoever wants the best for you can be considered to be a father to you. This concept of this father of the multitude of nations is related to yet another promise that God has made to Abraham back in Genesis 12 and 3. In you, all the families on earth shall be blessed. So as a father figure, Abraham would have profound influence on other people, including those people who were not his biological children. We see now that Abraham is 100 years old when Isaac is born to Sarah. And when the boy was about two years old, around the time that he would generally be weaned, Abraham 
held a great feast to celebrate this occasion. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, and then it says parenthetically, whom she had borne to Abraham laughing. Now, we need to stop for just a moment and catch up on this present narrative here. And the only way to do it is by asking two simple questions. Number one, how is it that Ishmael is the son of Abraham and not the son of Sarah? Secondly, why in the heck is Ishmael laughing? Well, if we go back to Genesis 16, we see that Sarah devised a scheme to answer the promises of God for herself. Listen to me. You should never jump out in front of the promises of God. If God has promised something, he will surely do it. What God has promised in secret, he will deliver in the brightness of the sun. The Bible clearly tells us, wait, wait, I say, of the Lord, and be of good courage. Wait, I say, on the Lord. But Sarah doesn't wait. Back then she was Sarai. Sarai doesn't wait. Look at Genesis 16, 1 through 6. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had bore him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant who was named Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, this is Sarai, she looked with contempt upon her mistress and said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave you my servant to embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked at me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. You see, the birth of Ishmael shows us the impatience they had for this promised heir. Sarai sought to resolve the problem of her barrenness by having her maid servant, Hagar, bear a child for her. This wasn't really unknown back in the ancient times, the idea of having a surrogate. We recognize here that the conception of Ishmael brought with it incredible pain to Sarai. Because you see what the scripture says, because he was with her, she became his what? Wife. Now, although this didn't place her on par with Sarai, Sarai still had presence. 
She still had position. She still has placement as Abraham's wife. But every woman knows while presence, position, and placement are important, if another woman is allowed to supersede your primary intimacy with your husband, especially in the marriage bed, that relationship is just asking for trouble. And you think about it, you know, when we think about a surrogate now, it's kind of clinical because you've got test tubes and there's a doctor there and they work it all out. But this is ancient times. Abraham had to bring it. That changes everything. And Sarah started to feel very insecure in her relationship. She directs her anger at Abram. And then she deals harshly with Hagar. And it creates a brand new problem in their relationship. Second question, why is Abraham laughing? This verb in the Hebrew is sahak. And it's kind of ambiguous. It can mean either mocking or playing. And we recognize also that Isaac means laughter. Because when God had told them that they would have a child in their old age, they, broke, they both broke out in laughter. Ishmael was probably laughing because he was making fun of the whole celebration built around Isaac. Because they're building this that Isaac is being weaned, that he is a promised son. And Ishmael knows he's 13. He's been here 11 years before. So why are they celebrating him? He should be the one being honored. He is the first son. What happened in ancient days? The first son was always given the fruits. Ishmael has been his son for 11 years and had grown to love his father. And his father loved him. Now, this little brat comes into the picture. And he's being celebrated as the chosen one. When I've been part of the family all the time, Sarah sees this. She's upset by it. She says, you need to cast out this slave woman and her son, for this boy will never become an heir with my son. She was determined that he would have no place in the family. Abraham, his father, is deeply troubled about this idea of sending Hagar in Ishmael away. But he recognizes that God always keeps his promises and that God has made a promise concerning Isaac and he's made a promise concerning Ishmael. And God can be trusted. Genesis 21, 11 through 13 says it this way. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not be displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also. Why? Look at it. Because he is your offspring. Abraham fully understands now that Isaac is a line in which will bless the nations. But yet he still remembers God has made a promise to Ishmael as well. I want you to think for a moment. 
I want you to imagine what's going on under the surface of this text because there are emotions happening here that are not brought out clearly in the text. Imagine for a moment Abraham, how he feels. He has had Ishmael for 13 years. Think about all the time that they have spent together, all the knowledge that he has brought to him and invested in him. Think about all of the examples of life he shared with Ishmael. Think about that father and son bond that is now being shattered. Think about all of those memories being scattered. He's got to send away Hagar and Ishmael. And when we think about it, it seems cruel. But the Bible records that Abraham had deep concern about what Sarah had asked him. But it also shows that he demonstrates his obedience to God, that God sometimes will require of us to do something that is different than we personally desire. But we need to follow God's instructions to the letter. Abraham models this type of humility that we still need to have today. Listen to me. God calls us to obedience. And that requires that we're willing to give up our personal desires in order to follow him and to please him. Those who love the Lord know that the Lord will is what matters most. Abraham obeyed God, and he was known as what, the Bible says, as a friend of God. He uses faith to follow God's will even in the most difficult times. Imagine how Ishmael must feel. Abraham is the only father he's ever known. Can you imagine what it feels like as a son to be sent away? Can you imagine wondering in your own mind what you might have done and why is it that your father doesn't love you anymore? Can you imagine the betrayal he must have felt? You know, I can share those feelings with Ish. Because I still wonder why I never met my father, why he never showed up in my life. And it must be ten times harder to have a father and love him than to never know your father at all. Can you really for a moment get to the point of Ishmael's pain? And how about Hagar? Can't you hear Hagar saying, here she goes again. I fled one time because of how harshly she treated me. And the angel of the Lord came to me and told me to go back. And I went back, and here's Sarah tripping again. But God continued to promise Abraham that he would bless and make that boy a great nation. And he would do it simply because he was Abraham's offspring. You know, when God shows you the well he's digging for you, he has to open your eyes that you can see the blessings of the Lord. Look at verses 14 through 19 of Genesis 21. And it amazes me how this kind of somewhat not 
completely, but there's a parallel you see here in what's going to happen in Genesis 22 when he goes to sacrifice Abraham. When Abraham goes to sacrifice Isaac. So Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child. And he sent her away. She departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about a distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look upon the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God, watch this, and God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then the Lord opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. Abraham, knowing that he is Ishmael's father, and that the role of a father is to provide and always offer provision. To provide is to ensure the needs of your wife and your family are being met in the immediate sense. But to offer provision takes things a little further. It involves vision, foreseeing, looking beyond this moment and planning for the future to ensure through purposeful preparation and vision that your family will be well taken care of in the future. As fathers, we are called to build bridges over those valleys of lack that will happen in our lives. We are to deal with those desert times in our lives where hunger and thirst are most likely to appear. Here Abraham goes and completes the task. He doesn't do what he wants to do, but he does what God tells him to do. He gives Hagar a little food and a little water and sends her away. Hagar and her son, they're just wandering aimlessly through Bathsheba. They don't have any specific plans. They don't have any specific answers. They are dealing with actions that have been thrust upon them. They wander and wander and wander no closer to their unknown destination. And then finally they run out of water. Then they run out of food. Now this is a time, my friends, where faith must be brought to the forefront of this journey. Have you ever personally been down to your last dime? Has your money ever ran out before the month ran out? Have you ever cried out to the Lord in prayer? Have you ever had to look to the hills from which your help comes from? Have you ever had to finally trust in God because there was no one else that could help you? And you found him to be a very present help. 
in a time of struggle? Have you ever had to test God at his word and ask him to pour out a blessing from the well that never runs dry? Here we see that Hagar fails this test of faith. She sees that she's at the end of her rope, but she doesn't tie a knot in it and assure that it's not the end of her hope. Instead of replenishing her heart through faith, she relinquishes her hope to fear. And here, this fear manifests itself as a fear of death, the death of her only son. Listen to her in verses 15 and 16. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. She went and sat down opposite him a good way off, the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And she sat opposite him and lifted up her voice and wept. All hope is gone as far as she's concerned. She takes her only son and places him under a bush. She goes a bow shot away, and a bow shot is going to be based on the strength of the man using the bow, 50 to 150 yards. He might be completely out of her sight. And then she cries out, but she doesn't cry out to the Lord. I want you to see a difference. She lifts up her voice, but she doesn't lift it up to anyone that can help her. Jesus Christ, God, and the Holy Spirit, they're our supplicants. So if we're given supplication, we have to give it directly to them. Otherwise, our prayers just go up to nothing. She looks up and she wept. But the only person who answers to the prayers here are despair and disappointment. And they have nothing to offer her. She doesn't remember that God is a very pleasant help in the time of trouble. She hasn't come to know that God, the name of God, is a strong tower against the enemy and righteous, the righteous run into it and find safety. She doesn't understand. Paul hadn't written it yet. 2 Corinthians 4 and 8. We are inflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Because she's consumed with fear, she just pushed Ishmael under a bush. She steps away, not wanting to watch him die. Wouldn't you want to be with your only child when he goes? But then we hear the angel of the Lord come to comfort Hagar and to ensure her that everything is going to be okay. And I don't want you to miss the power that is placed in verse 17. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for the God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. We learned earlier that Ishmael means God hears. 
I don't think God heard Hagar because Hagar was still a pagan. But we see here, even though I will agree with any commentator or theologian that Ishmael wasn't saved, but there is something interesting here that is happening. Why did Ishmael cry out to the Lord? Who taught Ishmael to cry out? Because of this situation, because of this moment, his father loves him and he sends him into the wilderness. Where did Ishmael pick up this habit? He didn't pick it up from Hagar, because Hagar's been praying to nobody. But does he remember his father quoting scripture, 27, Psalm 27 and 5? For I will hide, he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. For he will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me up high upon a rock. Or even Psalm 27, 7 through 9a. Hear, O Lord, when I cry out aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart seeks you. Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not. Did he remember Psalm 27 and 10? For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Ishmael cried out because he observed the habit of his father. It wasn't Hagar that he ever saw praying, but he saw his dad in times of great distress fall on his face before a holy God. He didn't totally understand it. He wasn't totally bought in, but he imitated in a time of crisis the only thing that he knew could bring a resolution that was positive. My question to you this morning, have your children ever seen you humble yourself before a holy God? Have your children ever seen you in times of great crisis and stress fall on your knees and cry out to God? I'm sure they've seen you stand flat-footed and cuss, but have they seen you stand flat-footed and ask the Lord for his help? Do you understand that more is caught than taught? And that your child observes everything that you do. They're like a sponge. Watch them. Do something crazy and see when they come back. And then when you ask them where they come from, they say, you did the other day. You are their example. But that's the third question here that needs to be answered. Why did the angel of the Lord say to Hagar, what troubles you? Now, this is the angel of God who represents God. And remember, this is a God that knows everything and every hair on your head. This is a God that knows the words of your mouth before they spring off your tongue. This is a God that knows everything about you, even better than you know yourself. Why does God have the audacity to ask the angel, his angel, to ask Hagar, what troubles you? 
Can you imagine her reply? What troubles me? This is the second time I had to leave Abraham's home. Sarah is tripping again, and she started the whole thing. I'm out here with no food, no water, no provision. My son is about to die. I can't bear to look at him. And you're going to ask me, what troubles me? The trouble with that question is, what is right in this situation? But the angel's reply is to give her comfort, to give her strength, to give her fortitude. Fear not, for the Lord has heard the voice of the boy where he is. If that sentence, if you can't shout on that sentence, that's something wrong with you. Because if the God of the universe knows exactly where you are and hears your prayer, then you know that he has the ability to provide whatever you need. He has a longing interest in you. Psalm 37, 17 says, When the righteous cry out for help, the Lord hears them and delivers them out of all their troubles. Proverbs 15, 29, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. 1 John 5, 14, And this is a confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask him anything, According to his will, he hears us. The angel continues as he is speaking to Hagar, and he says, up, kum, which means to rise. And then he tells her, not only you get up, but lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, because God's promise still stands. He won't die today. God's promise still stands that he will make a great nation out of him. You see here God's tender intervention saves the life of Hagar and her son, the one that will become a great nation. He does it because he's come from Abraham. He's part of Abraham's household. He reaffirms his promise. God is faithful even when we are not faithful. And God is faithful because he sees and knows and he knows all about our troubles, even in those deserts of life. He's the one that we need to seek for food and water. We can trust him. And if we trust him, he will show us and give us directions to our well. Deuteronomy 6, 7, and 12 reminds us of the promises of God. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on their head. They shall be like frontless before their eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord, your God, brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you, listen to this, great and good cities that you did not build, houses full of good things that you did not fill, cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery.
he's telling us clearly that the Lord has organized and ordered all of our steps and that he has provided provision already before because he knows the moment that we're going to need it. And there are going to be provisions that we did not build and wells we did not dig and houses that we live in that we did not create. And he does it out of his goodness, mercy, and love for us. And that because he does that, we should do what? We should never forget who he is. God knew that Hagar was going to get kicked out the second time. God knew that she was going to have a faith crisis in the middle of the desert. God knew that they were going to run out of water. God knew that they did not or she did not have the eyes of faith, so he did what? He opened her eyes that she could see that everything she could possibly need was right before her and that God had put it there. You know, we are well, whether we believe it or not. There's not a day that goes by when I have a visitor that comes up to this church and they compliment, oh man, this place is beautiful, it's, it has everything that you need, and I always tell them, you know, it was like this when I got here, my friend. He said, oh, you must, your leadership must be off the chain. No, it was like this when I got here. Because God dug this well a long time ago. And I don't know if you understand how God dug this well that you're sitting in right now. Years ago, there was a woman that sat in this church. The church is over here in, in this center. It's at, it would be probably where that Indian restaurant is. In a very small church. And her husband wasn't a Christian, but he loved his wife. And his wife loved this church. She died. And even though he never stepped foot in this church, because this church was the only thing that she loved as much as she loved him, he gave this church 161 acres. That includes right there where that shopping center is, right there where that Indian restaurant, all the way up past Kroger. Okay? So they stayed there for years and years. They had land, but they didn't have any money. So in 1988, a developer came by and said, you know something? I want to put a strip center right there, and I'll pay you for it. And I want to put a subdivision back there that will go across, well, Kroger wasn't there then, that will go across Township Road up there. And he says, if you sell me those two plots of land, I will pay you and I will build you a church. You see, they always had a well. Even though they didn't have any money, even though they didn't have any idea what they could do with it, God already knew what he was going to do. This well was built for you, and not only you, but for the five miles surrounding it, that it could be a place where they could drink from the living water of Christ and have their thirst quenched. 
It's up to you to provide and protect the well that God had somebody else dig for you and for the community. Open your eyes and see that you have everything you need and that now you, it's better to give than to receive because you received a 40,000-foot blessing. So, New Life, you need to up. You need to up. And you need to recognize how many people will be overjoyed to have what you just consider. But the Lord shows his grace and he's loved us enough to put us here for such a time as this. There is a dying world out there. We have a generation that doesn't have any idea who God is. The most confused people I've ever met in my life. They're on the cusp of going to hell and they don't recognize it at all. There's so many different theories. They believe this, they believe that. They believe everything but the truth. It's not all up to us, but you know, and we need to bloom where we're planted. We need to make sure that we take care of these five miles around us. That's what I think the Lord has put on our plate, and we need to diligently serve him there. So I just close with the fact that I just need you to open your eyes. You need to support this facility. You need to be here, mask or not mask. You need to trust the Lord, and you need to support whether you're here or not on those Sundays that you have to miss. Because the work goes on. Time doesn't stop. You need to love people enough to want to save them from an eternity in hell. And you might want to save yourself. Obviously, you can't save yourself, but when I said that, I mean for you to be fully in. You know, like you want to be fully vaccinated? Be fully ready to be able on that great getting up morning to be in line with the sheep and not the goats. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you, we praise you, we give you honor and glory that's none like you in all the earth. We thank you for your incredible generosity toward us, that you've given us everything that we need. But Lord, let us now step out on faith and use it the way in which you have prepared it for. Let us touch lives day in and day out. Let us not let us, not a day go by that we don't introduce somebody to Jesus. And Lord, take away all fear because you are the movement behind the message. Give us the strength and the courage to stand up and to tell of your goodness. For your word never comes back void, and you draw your own to yourself. It is in the precious name of your Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we ask it all. And all God's children said, Amen.